Right then, hello everyone, and welcome back to Dutiful Future. Uh, today's episode, I have with me two representatives from the Warwick University Lib Dems. I have Alex and Tom. Hello. Hi. Hello. Fantastic. So today um, we are going to be talking about uh, the Liberal Democrats, uh, their sort of role in politics right now, as well as um, two topics uh, that are very key to their manifesto and their sort of core beliefs, these being drug legalization and constitutional reform, two of the uh, the mainstays of the Lib Dem platform. Um, also, first of all, uh, Tom, like the yellow hoodie there on brand. Thanks. <laughs> it's good. It's good. You know, that constitutes branding. Tom, come on, yellow. Yeah. Where's the coordination here? Anyway, so first thing, um, after the last general election, I think um, there was obviously there was a, a big question of sort of the role of the Lib Dems because obviously their 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 sort of ideology has been liberalism for a long time, and in the last election, you know, you had Corbyn who was by by no means a representative of liberalism, you had Boris Johnson who's by no means a representative of liberalism, and then the one party attempting to represent this this concept was. Um, ousted quite you know thoroughly i mean you know joe swinston the leader even didn't didn't win her own seat how do you see the lib dems position right now do you see any any or, or are you hoping for any sort of change or any sort of way that you, we can adapt that you can adapt to the situation or is this a no no we're still going to be representing these these values that we hold i'd say it's, i'd say it's a mixture of a couple of things really i think on that um i'd say compromising values isn't really a thing we want to be taking away from i think the, the liberal democrats have always been strong standing on on the classical platform of liberalism i say the liberal democrats always do well in elections when both parties are more sort of moderate and politics isn't so insane um i'd say we suffer we definitely suffered in the election from lack of tactical voting uh was a big thing i'm sure tom can talk a bit more about that but yeah generally i think there are a lot of seats, unfortunately, that were very, very winnable that ended up going to the Tories and seeing them have a have a huge landslide in the election. Um, you know, and it hurt the Labour Party just as much as it hurt the Liberal Democrats. I think, in terms of of people's failure to tactical vote, um, it ultimately did really hurt us in the long run. So yeah, oh, sorry, oh, sorry. Uh, well, I think I think there are there are a couple of mistakes we made at the election, but like Alex said, a lot of the problem was that the two main parties were so polarised that even though people didn't necessarily like um, the two main parties that much. They really disliked one of them. So they weren't inclined to take the risk of voting for a third party when that would, could risk the uh, Prime Minister they didn't like getting into Downing Street. Do you not think that, you know, you said that the Lib Dems get hurt by um, a more polarised political climate. Do you think that there is there is any hope in politics returning back to, you know, the good old days where people could... Um, you know, feel comfortable themselves voting for a party they prefer, you know, if they didn't hate either side? Um, or do you think that, you know, this, we're in such a, a volatile state in politics right now that we're never going to be able to return to this position, so perhaps the Lib Dems need to adapt and offer something rather than just trying to be the sort of middle ground calming force? Do you want to go? Or... Yeah, I'll go for it. Take it. Take okay, it. well, I think... Um, yeah, I think politics is pretty polarised, but we've already seen with the Labour leadership election that Keir Starmer's sort of been more of a move towards the centre ground compared to Corbyn. So I think looking at a Boris um, Keir Starmer election in 2024, that's probably more fertile ground for us than uh, we've had so far. But I think we do need to adapt. There were things that didn't go as well at the last election, like uh, the revoke Article 50. Um, without a referendum uh, idea was obviously very divisive. Um, and I think, so I think we do need to be careful of that. And um, even though Brexit was sort of our big policy, 
it's been a bit of a burden for us, especially in the southwest, in the sort of seats where lots of our voters um, historically uh, leave voters. So it might even help us to sort of move away from Brexit a bit as well. So as you pointed out, you know, a very large part of the platform, pretty much the entire purpose of the Lib Dem campaign last general election was the you know hardest stance on Remain could possibly have, you know, revoking Article 50. And it, it clearly didn't go very well. Do, how do you think that the Lib, where do you think the Lib Dem should go from here? You know, that was such a central policy and that, that, that clearly was not successful. What, where, where do you see the direction that the Lib Dem should go? How should they be rebuilding themselves and what should be the, you know, the, the core message? I'd say that the Liberal Democrats, in terms of moving away, moving towards a more core message, doesn't have to be on on Brexit. I mean, the, the Lib Dems historically have done well when they didn't focus on things like Brexit. If you look at places like Cornwall, you know, nearly all the seats in Cornwall used to be taken by the Liberal Democrats, and you know, and that was before Brexit was even even in the purview at all. I think it's going back to to classical policies, focusing on things like social care. Um, constitutional reform, generally investing in local communities. I think that that's when that's when Liberal Democrats do the best when they focus on localism. You know, I think in areas where you know you spend a long time, your local party eventually gets a councillor, then you get a couple of council councillors. People in the area see that you, you do actually care that you're gonna you know you're, you're the type of people who're gonna be going out delivering leaflets every week, and eventually that transcends into an MP. And I think unfortunately a lot of our infrastructure in the southwest we've lost the trust of a lot of the voters around there especially on on the sort of the stop brexit policy without a referendum i think it it has very much hurt our, our trust and our infrastructure on there mm -hmm. so what do you say to people who you know when you when you tell them you know you try and convince them why they should be supporting the lib dems and they say to you and you know you're bringing up certain issues like social care like you just mentioned and you're saying you know, this is a really big issue here are our solutions what do you say when someone replies Okay, well, if if this is if this is a big issue, as you say, well, why wouldn't I go for the more like radical person on this issue? Or when it comes to things like the budget, why wouldn't I go with the more radical person on this issue if it's such a large problem, whether it be the Tories or the Conserv or, or the um or Labour's? How do you accurately um, sell the the message of being a middle ground party when trying to you know outline massive issues in society when there are generally more radical policies on either side around them? Well, I think being broadly in the centre doesn't have to mean that you have sort of bland middle-of-the-road policies. It doesn't mean you sort of split the difference between the two parties. Even though we're coming from a sort of broadly centre-ground position, a lot of our policies are very radical on drug legalisation, which we might talk about later, for example, on, const on constitutional reform and, uh, and so on. So I think um, you don't have to be extreme to have sort of radical... Um, policy ideas about how to solve the problems that we face. Mm -hmm. So, if you were placed um, in charge of the Dems tomorrow, so for some, you know, there's been there's been a joint leader election. We have Tom and Alex, the brand new leaders. Uh, what would be the sort of first thing would you do? Would you see? Would you see your your tap? Would do you think that a better way to grow the party would be through more grassroots movements like the other, you know, getting councillors in and then growing sort of from that region, or do you see a need for grander, um, more overarching? you know, forms of whether it be policy or, you know, public stunts, how, how do you think would be the best way for the Lib Dems to sort of claw back this sort of um, main mainstream and, you know, uh, and I guess power in Parliament? I, I, th I think for me personally, you know, we wake up to our Lib Democrat leader, it would, it would have to be going back to, to localism, because I think that, that's where we've always done the best. We've all, you've always done best when people, for example, like uh, where I live, Bassett Law, we just recently had a Liberal Democrat elected to... Um, to the local council. This has really not happened in, I think, over 20 years. 
it wasn't done because, for example, my error was seventy percent leave. It wasn't done because it was on a it was on a platform of stop breaks. It was just on a on a platform of here's the local issues. Here's how the local party isn't isn't responding. Here's how the council's currently failing you. Um, give us a try. And I think that that in a lot of places where you build up our infrastructure over time, you don't get MPs over the night for parties like the Liberal Democrats. Because unfortunately, we are always going to be squeezed by first past post in the two party system. Mm. It's slowly winning over areas, and and then eventually showing people, you know, if you vote for us, we have a chance of winning. Yeah, I think I agree with Alex that um, localism is really important. And I think the last election where we had um, quite a strong uh, national campaign compared to, say, 2017, which was a bit of a shambles. um, And where we had that, but we didn't have local representation, we didn't do that well. So I think localism is important, but it sort of also goes hand in hand with a clear national direction and national leadership uh, and policies. So I think you've got to have both, but we do need to make sure that we have the strong grassroots. Do you think that that was part of the problem with the last election with the Lib Dems was this sort of disconnect between, um, you know, the the grander strategy and the national strategy with local areas? You know, for example, it was, there was um, people think like people like Chuka Amana coming into the party, who is the more corporate wing of Labour comes in, and then they they make a strategy to try and win a hundred seats and then end up with you know however many seven. Do you think that there was there was a sort of split? between you know the the core as it's grassroots the Lib Dems and the sort of leadership strategy uh, I'd, I'd say to an extent there was there was there was that massive sort of disconnect I think as well it was it was especially in 2017 um as you know so to, to an extent 2019 as well it was the failure of the parties I think to recognize that all these metropolitan seats that we thought we were going to win and possibly not so much abandoning, but putting less effort into seats that we'd always held, for example, in the Northwest, these leave areas, putting a, a, you know, a huge amount of effort into the Remain seats, believing that suddenly all the Remainers are going to wake up and forget their party affiliation and just suddenly vote to the Liberal Democrats in droves. Uh, overnight, I don't think it, is, it was a realistic policy by the, by the central party. And I think now we see we see that actually you have to go back to, to your roots instead of just focusing on these areas that apparently are going to suddenly switch overnight just because they voted remain in the referendum. I think it's about building the trust of, of um, people in the constituencies again and building the trust of the platform. Yeah, I think we, um, because of that problem of local representation, in 2015 and 17, we lost a lot of support in our core areas. And then even though we got quite a lot of the vote, more than in the last two elections, we got, I think, uh, about 12%. Um, up from seven percent or so, mm-hmm. um, we did, but we didn't have the foothold in enough places for that to translate into seats. Whereas now we're pretty close to winning quite a few seats. Um, so maybe in the next election, that's something that we can um, build on with local representation. So, how long do you think this sort of strategy of local grassroots growth would take in order to start seeing? this representation translating into parliament is this a very long-term strategy or is something that we could potentially be seeing come successful in the next couple of elections i think it depends in terms of of local parties and how local elections i mean obviously the local elections were meant to be scheduled next year uh, they've now been postponed which is which is you know a, a good decision in terms of postponing local elections obviously you can't have them in the in the face of the crisis i think it'll be how long it takes before we start having local elections again and before you know people can do canvassing and delivering leaflets again and after the whole coronavirus epidemic um i think as it is it is a long-term strategy i think that's always going to be how it is i think unfortunately as much as we as a lot of Lib Dems would love to see it we're waking <laughs> up and seeing 60 seats again over a general election i don't think it's it's realistically going to happen i think 
and then it will be winning, doing really well in local elections, and then tr- eventually translating those, you know, dribs and drabs to seats in Westminster. So you put out there, so it might take a, a while for this, you know, local to translate into national. Um, when it does, or it, or if it does, if when we'll go with when, um, when it does happen, um, how would you say? So let's say sixty seats happen again. Where do you think the best success for the Dems would come from? Do you see coalition trying to be another plan, or do you, or would you say that no, our best option is to just try and become a vocal minority in Parliament and be an independent force to try and push certain policies that we would like? Or do you think the coalition is the way forwards to gain this sort of influence and notoriety? Well, I think it depends on the parliamentary arithmetic, but coalitions generally, for obvious reasons, aren't that popular with grassroots Lib Dem members. Mm-hmm. Um, some people, and one of them, are more open to a sort of confidence and supply style thing that the DUP did, where we can have you know, some influence over policy. I think if there was a home parliament and there's an opportunity for us to... Uh, influence policy that we have there's a party that we have sort of shared uh, overlap with it would be quite difficult to I would think to argue that you shouldn't try and um, be involved in some way in parliament because you can't change anything unless you um, have power in parliament so um, I think I think we yeah so we should um, in my view be involved but that would be up to Lib Dem members to vote on if that happened mm-hmm. and I think to get to that situation we might do better um, getting to 60 seats or something where where Labour and um, after Labour get into government although I think we could build up a lot in the next election because when Labour um, because like under Charles Kennedy for example we were the sort of we ran to the left of Labour and became the left-wing opposition to um, the Labour Party. So that's the sort of strategy that mm-hmm. could work. Okay. So moving on from the Lib Dems uh, and their sort of party platform, we can now move on to sort of the the the, the main policies that will be that you know you'll be trying to sell uh, to the public relatively soon. First, these will do drug legalisation. So what is the Lib Dem stance on drug legalisation? Uh, it, it's a couple of things. It's it's the full legalisation of uh, marijuana for a start. Uh, that that would be a sort of day one policy. Um, then I think on top of that, it would be decriminalization of, of most drugs. So that's if you're caught with a small quantity uh, of another substance that remains illegal, then you would you would not face a criminal charge. You would face a um, instead a sort of civil charge. Um, it would be things like focusing more on rehabilitation than reform, treating drug addiction less as, as, an, as an addiction, as a disease uh, and incorporating that into the, to the NHS for you to be able to get treatment for that. Um, for example, people who are addicted to more uh, more sort of dangerous substances, including Class A drugs, they should be able to go to a doctor in confidence and say, you know, I, I want to be able to, to take myself off this and have the help and not not be treated like like a sort of an outcast member of society, but instead as, as a genuine addiction, which it is. Um, and generally moving towards decriminalization, rehabilitation um, as drug reform in general. Mm-hmm. And, so, and using that money, sorry, to, to invest uh, into the NHS. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... Um, what would you, what has inspired this um, relatively, you know, quite strong, quite radical um, position on 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 drug reform? You know, even like even Labour, for example, in a lot of certain sort of cases, is more careful in terms of decriminalisation in, in in these areas. What has been the main thing, or for you personally, or for the Lib Dems as a whole, that has driven this sort of um, you know really strong take on the decriminalisation and legalisation? Well, I think we've seen it um, be fairly successful in other countries. In Portugal, for example, they introduced 
decriminalization and civil charges for like all all drug use and i think that's been very effective at uh, tackling the um problem of drug addiction there and we've seen it in um, various u.s states as well um and so i think and i think compared to other political parties both labor and the conservatives tend to like to run on sort of law and order platforms because labor sees this as somewhere where it can be you know not seen as a soft kind of lefty Mm -hmm. party but um it being a sort of symbol of um the that you can trust left-wing government and that it can be strong so i think this is one area where there is a big departure on civil liberties on drug reform where there there are big differences between labor and the lib dems on this area So, uh, you know, and for example, there's also been great success in Switzerland, where there is similar policy, um, where they, they literally just have open you know, clinics for these sort of things to help people out. And they have been extremely successful. Um, personally, you know, I'm a big fan of that policy. Um, to, to secretly slip my bias in there, I'm a big fan of that policy, the one that, the one that you guys just advocated there for. Um, but to play devil's advocate, what would you say to, I guess, the, the prominent Tory argument, which is, you know, basically saying you can't have these, you know, these are ridiculous, they ruin people's lives, um, they're dangerous, things like that. What, what is your response to them, people saying, oh, this is dangerous for themselves and people that are around them, ETC? I, I think, I wouldn't disagree that drugs do ruin people's lives. I, I think they certainly do, but I think the point is, is people are going to do drugs anyway. Uh, and I think it's about providing people a safe platform who are going to do drugs regardless. I mean, some people are genuinely addicted to class A drugs. Things like having needle replacement services will help with that um, and will help with things like infection rates. Um, and I think you've seen it in certain U.S. states when, when needle replacement programs have been, have been outlawed. You've actually seen it rise in, in diseases because of infected needle transfer and things like that. I, I think it's about treating drug addiction not as, uh, as a genuine addiction and, and having people have the confidence to go and get help with that and providing them the, the funding and the, you know, the, the, the genuine help to try and get help with that addiction. That's how you wean people off dangerous drugs. And in terms of uh, marijuana, which is a slightly different policy because we're proposing full legalization and regulation, that can actually make drug use safer because there is a regulation, you know what you're getting and um, there's not a sort of um, black market where you where you don't know what, what you're buying. Mm-hmm. So this shift from a more of a system of support and rehabilitation rather than punishment, is this something that has, you know, specifically drug policy, has this something that has translated uh, and sort of seeped through to the rest of the Lib Dems crime policy in general? Is there is there a focus on rehabilitation in most systems or is it is it a is there a contrast between general crime policy in terms of you know the standard strong or tough on crime stance and then drug policy or is this something which has started to spread out into um, other areas of crime i think i think it's always been an element of lib dem policy and i think definitely we, we if you know if given control of the, of the um justice department it would be more in sort of uh, towards rehabilitation overwhelmingly i think it's not about punishing people. It's about getting people to, to be reintroduced back into society, you know, and work with that society. At the end of the day, you can't just, just throw people in prison and throw away the key or, or you know, give, when people, often when people have short sentences, we have to look at reasons why people reoffend, And often it's because they struggle to, re- to, re- to have themselves reintroduced in society. Therefore, they turn to crime because it's something they've done before. Uh, it's about giving these giving these people the tools they need to go back into society and you know fully contribute to it. So I definitely say throughout Lib Dem policy, there's a huge reform on rehabilitation. You know our funding platform does represent that. Mm-hmm. So on uh, drug policy, I think um, for the last few Lib Dem campaigns, I think um, 
you know, this was something which I think the Lib Dems have generally quite, they haven't really sold as much. It hasn't really been on the, in the front of campaigning or on, you know, posters, billboards around these things like legalizing marijuana and, you know, reduce and decriminalization it hasn't been one of the most prominent elements of the Lib Dem campaigns. And, and um, my simple question is, why do you think that, that the Lib Dem party has, hasn't been as, you know, promotional as they could do around, you know, one of the most um, radical and, and, and different, uh, you know, different policies that they have in comparison to other parties? Well, I think it's a difficult sell for a lot of people, um, especially uh, legalizing marijuana. You know, it's quite a controversial topic and it's not a bread and butter issue. Um, And, you know, I'm sure I'll win a few votes and it's part of a wider sort of liberal platform that will um, be more persuasive. But, um, yeah, it's not always a winning issue for people. Either they find it controversial or they... They're more focused on other issues like education, uh, taxes, and so on, healthcare. Do you think that one of the reasons that the Lib Dems may have struggled in recent years has been this sort of reluctance to really put their ideas out there and and really show what you know they're passionate in believing in? I think um, you know you described it as bread and butter issues. Do you think that um, you know one of the things that could make a, a party popular and really you know, drive up support would be by you know, moving out of the box of what is considered a bread and butter issue, you know, by really creating enthusiasm around issues which aren't already being talked about. I think it's I think it's hard uh, for a couple of reasons. I think, firstly, uh, a lot of people do possibly see the platform, uh, but you do get the classic thing on the door, which is I would vote for you if I thought you could win. Uh, mm-hmm. And in, unfortunately, in a lot of constituencies, it can be hard for a lot of people to vote for, to go and vote for the Liberal Democrats because they don't feel like we can win in the area and they'd rather see, for example someone from the Labour or someone from the Tories get elected because they don't like the other party so much they'd rather not not sort of uh, quote-unquote waste their vote. And I think that's why constitutional reform is at the heart of and reforming first-past post is at the heart of our agenda. But I think as well it's getting coverage on the news media. Um, you know, taking aside the whole coronavirus epidemic at the minute, I think it's incredibly hard for a third party to get, get their ideas and their platform across. We only get a very limited amount of airtime, and that's why I think it, it, it is a case of promoting the policies uh, promoting sort of headline policies that are eye-catching to people for example like the penny on income tax last election it's it's things like that that we have to try and push uh, and we have to be very selective with our platform whereas other you know the two main parties get a lot of time to discuss their issues in depth we really do suffer from that especially in the last election with the lack of tv debates and and the sort of inability to even mm-hmm. show our platform through that do you not think that um you know so you say you struggle with the you know the quite the obvious people that say to you is Oh, I, you know, I vote for you if you think you can win. Do you think that a, a, a interesting strategy or probably a strategy that could work for the Lib Dems would be by ensuring they could differentiate themselves so much that they actually have a real reason to want the Lib Dems rather than Labour and Conservatives? Do you not think that, you know, by pushing these sort of policies that, that you know, we've just discussed and even more that, that the Lib Dems could position themselves in an area where it is someone's not thinking, oh, I would vote for them, but, you know, I don't want to have a Tory when they would say, I'm going to vote for this person because they actually do things that I really want to when the other party really doesn't. Yeah, I think absolutely that is something we need to do. Uh, When you look at the 2015 election campaign and we had the sort of give a heart to the Conservatives, give a brain to Labour, um, terrible uh, election (laughs) slogan, um, you, um, you can't just be sort of down the middle between the two parties. You've got to be able to differentiate yourself. And I think one thing that's worked for us a lot is um, promoting tactical voting in, consti- in some constituencies. But 
that's been a bit of a struggle for building up a strong um, sort of a strong wall of support because um, when because that then people are fickle they sort of change between to or away from your party at elections and so I agree that to build up a sort of consistent voter base we do need to highlight policies where we're different they don't have to be on sort of um, niche issues but they can be and they can they should also be sort of radical areas where we are different from the two other parties. Mm-hmm. And I, th- I think that's why on the moderation stance we always do better when both parties are more moderate because then people don't feel that they hate the other party so much that they could never vote for us even if they love our policies because they are just so they so detest the other party that they would that they, would, they wouldn't want it in a million years and to get in in their constituency and this is especially while we feel the squeeze in marginal constituencies uh, even more so I think it's a matter of when both parties are more moderate people don't mind and they say well you know depends who wins Labour or the Tories you know they're both they're both sort of towards a more moderate stance therefore I'll vote for the Liberal Democrats because I feel like I really do like their platform more and it'd be great if they if they grew their vote share, made it a target seat and they were more likely to get, a, get an MP maybe next time. Do you not see that as sort of a, uh, a representation or a manifestation of one of the the core, uh, I guess, issues or accusations that Lib Dems receive, which is that they are too middle of the road? You know, you say that you are successful when both parties are closer together. Um, do you not think that, that that is just a sign that perhaps the Lib Dems are too, you know, stuck in one area you'd think that when the two parties split that it does be more successful by offering something different where in do you think a more appropriate analysis of the last election is that you know people detest either side um someone who's more of a lib dem leaning you know center right kind of person thinks oh i hate them i'm gonna vote conservative because the lib dems aren't offering something which is different enough from either party in order to be convincing yeah i think a lot of people thought in 2017 and 2019 that because the two parties were far apart, there was a big space in the middle for the Lib Dems to fill. But I think the last two elections have shown that that's not how it's worked out. That there's been that there's been this big gap, but voters have wanted to jump to one side or the other to stop the other party getting in. So I think, yeah, we do need to uh, differentiate ourselves, be more radical. And we haven't been successful where we've said we're sort of a... Um, you know, a moderate as opposed to radical centrist party where um, we just sort of have, we have like boring policies or uh, we do best where we have, where we um, are more radical, where we, and controversially in the party, but I think we do do better when we run to the left rather Mm -hmm. than, um, although not not all members would agree, but (laughs) um, yeah, where we run to the left. Mm So moving on to the issue, you brought it up earlier the um, the concept of electoral and constitutional reform, um, and you know that's often you know when you ask Lib Dems about why they haven't been so successful, the first thing they will say is always electoral uh, systems. So what would you say? What do you identify as the problem currently, and how are the Lib Dems planning, or how would they hope to change it? I think that the problem is we've touched on it quite a bit, which is unfortunately in the system where. Uh, you know, it's the person with the most votes wins, even if you only get one vote more than the party uh, behind you, you, mm. you take that seat. So in a lot of constituencies, for example, you can be elected with, in some cases, less than 30% of the vote. Uh, it's, it's quite awful in terms of, of the democracy that uh, that the other 70% in some cases don't get someone who, who they even remotely wanted. In fact, you know, if, if, if constantly when 
people are split, they always want to vote for, they are forced to vote for one of the two main parties, even though, for example, some people might prefer other parties like the Green Party, or, you know, in, in our case, the Liberal Democrats. Our comprehensive plan for it is, is relatively simple. It would be uh, abolishing first-past-the-post and introducing a system of proportional representation. This isn't anything new or radical. Most European countries use it. Um, I, I guess one of one of the classic things is, is when people say, well, what about coalitions? I'd say most European countries deal with coalitions quite well and have done for so long. Um, I, I think it's just a matter of having a system where you can vote for someone who you actually you know, want to win. Mm-hmm. So on the point of coalition, um, I think uh, when you bring up you know, other European countries are very successful with their coalitions and it's quite a common practice. Do you think that the UK lacks the sort of electoral precedent and history for coalitions? I mean, you know, the last one you guys were certainly involved in and it, it wasn't particularly popular, whether its success is certainly debated. However, um, it's certainly been up in the air, at least for, you know, specifically the Lib Dems, how much, how much they got out of it. Do you think that this sort of a, a dramatic shift away from first past the post to this, you know, PR system, which requires proportional representation would cause an immediate gridlock simply because we don't have the parliamentary tools or the electoral tools to sort of create a strong functioning um, coalition government? Well, I think I think when the electoral or if hopefully when the electoral system changes, um, I think the political culture will follow from that. I think we try to do it the other way around with coalition. And uh, I think coalition... I don't think coalition was unpopular. I mean, the Conservatives from the coalition, you know, came back with a majority mm. after after the coalition government. But I think it didn't work well for us, partly because of the electoral system. We were punished and our, our seat share fell by a lot more than our vote share did. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was a problem for us. But I think the ironic thing is that even though lots of defenders of First Past the Post argue that coalitions don't work and we need strong uh, majority governments. In the last 10 years, we've barely seen any um, strong majority governments in the UK. The one we've got at the moment is probably the only one because we've had May's more majority in the coalition. So I think coalition government can work and it would work better and parties would be incentivized to work a lot more closely together if the electoral system changed. Do you think things have been going well for the last 10 years, I think is the natural question. And you say that we we've sort of haven't had a, a proper majority, but I think it'd be reasonable to say that the, the last you know, few years have been one of the most you know chaotic and um, <laughs> all over the place um, you know times that, that British politics has had in a while. Um, do you see that as partly being, do you see that as part of that problem being the lack of a majority system? And would this only get worse if a majority was essentially impossible to get? Uh, I'd, I'd say to, to an extent, it is, it is incredibly hard over the last 10 years. I'd say it hasn't been going well, particularly. I think it has shown the weaknesses of first past the post. It isn't guaranteed to produce a, a majority government all the time. And I think that's very clear um, that sometimes you do fall short of a majority. I think it's hard in the sense that reform obviously would be an adjustment period. It would be, you know, learning to cooperate with other parties, learning that actually manifestos for the two main parties aren't iron concrete and should be implemented, uh, you know, if you if you gain a majority in full. It's a case of sitting down and having compromise. I think one of the big reasons in 2015 uh, the, the Lib Dems faced such a wipeout was ultimately that the electorate weren't used to any form of, of compromise. It, it's a case of here's your platform, um, you should be able to implement it if you get a majority in government. I think it, it's hard to set a precedent about that. And I think things like relations with the DUP, 
show that actually how fragile it can be uh, when you have to start changing policies. But I think over time, the political culture does come with it, as Tom said. Mm-hmm. So um, one thing that I think I've, I've, I've spoken to people about first past the post and their opinions on it, um, that I've had people say well, they, they, they like the relationship, the personal relationship between you know, having a region with an MP. They like having a representative for their area. Um, do you see this as something that would be that would be lost, and is is this is this a relative you know a, a cost of um, a PR system in that there is there is a there is a break of that sort of direct line to Parliament in that you know you can email your MP you can write to your MP and then that could be brought up in Parliament, whereas in a PR system there isn't specific regions of representation. Well, so um, party policy is. I think we're open to other options, but party policy is to support a single transferable vote. And under that system, you can have you have sort of bigger constituencies with several MPs. So you can retain that local link between you you and your representatives. And that relationship can actually be built more strongly because you can choose which representative you might have representatives or you probably would have representatives from lots of different parties. Mm-hmm. So you can choose, you know, which ones you um you agree with that that sort of align with you on the issue that you're raising um so you get both more choice but you also can have local representation and that's the same for the additional member system they have in scotland and wales as well you can also have local mps there mm-hmm. so um on specifically that point i mean i mean generally my um general opinion on these sort of issues of uk uh electoral politics is that i i would be in favor of replacing the house of lords with like a, with a PR system, so there is that sort of balance maintaining the local link. Um, what is um, the Lib Dem stance on the House of Lords? Um, do you see it as you know institution that needs to be upheld, or is it you know an affront to democracy that they are uh, they are an elected body with quite a lot of power? I'd say the the Lib Dems are very very torn on the House of Lords. I'd say in terms of internally in the party, you know, I speak to some people who say they like the House of Lords. I speak to people who have it fully elected. I speak to people who have it abolished. Uh, I, I think it's always been a struggle for the Liberal Democrats in terms of, of, of coming to um, a comprehensive reform. I mean, there was attempts in the coalition. It was faced by massive rebellion by the Conservative Party. Uh, and in the end, it was a sort of a compromise. You know, Tony Blair took a crack at trying to change the, the House of Lords, even then made very, very marginal reform. The Lib Dems, I guess, the general sort of policy on it is is, is a review. Uh, I know I know it sort of it was more sort of solidified in the last election in terms of what, what we would do. Um, but ultimately, I think it's going to be a, a matter of compromise if there were if there was a coalition of, of supply and uh, of supply. I think the sort of the majority of members want some form of, of, of it to be elected, um, and, and as well, it's the the idea that they should never really stand in the way of, of of an elected parliament. I don't know. You can talk a little bit more about this, Tom. I know. Yeah, I think. Um... Yeah, we do want to see reform of the House of Lords, but in some ways it's not the biggest issue. It's not our priority in terms of the Constitution, because the House of Lords, uh, obviously at the moment, doesn't have a lot of power, because it can't overrule the Commons several times. It's more a sort of revising chamber. So I think we would like to see an elected uh, House of Lords. I think that's, well, that's our policy. We try to introduce it in the coalition, but the difficulty is you've got to get the Conservatives and Labour to vote for it, where they would likely lose the the representation or the sort of overwhelming majority that they've got at the moment, mm-hmm. and um, and you've also get that got the House of Lords to have some involvement in abolishing <laughs> itself. So it's a difficult issue, but I think um, we'd like to see reform in the long run. 
So do you see your, your vision for a proportional system being one chamber proportionally represented, or do you see, you know, two house systems still, but changing, changing quite a bit, or do you simply see, right, change the House of Commons being PR and keep the House of Lords how it is? And and if the, if, it's, if it's the um the last one, do you not see an issue of sort of uh, almost more of a contrast between democratic values, you know, on this issue that the Dems often make, you know, the cry for democracy, how, you know, it's undemocratic, the current system. Do you think that if they weren't to, to take too much concern about the House of Lords, which is often seen as an even more undemocratic um, institution, it would almost be potentially, you know, hypocritical in some sense. I, th- I think there's no doubt if we, we woke up tomorrow and the Lib Dems had a majority government, the House of Lords <laughs> would be a thing that would that would be tackled. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that is the big difference. It's between being a Lib Dem majority government and having the ability to tackle the Lords fully. Um, than it would be realistically going into a coalition or supply and supply and confidence agreement where you would have to try and compromise with the other parties to try and get some some Lords reform. I think one of the suggestions has been um, possibly having a third of the Lords elected or two thirds elected on, on 10 year terms, but using a sort of why almost like the, the, the system used for the European Parliament elections or, mm-hmm. you know, before the UK left the European Union, um, it, it possibly on a system like that. I think the Lords do do provide um, a good level of scrutiny in terms of legislation. Um, but I think ultimately it is, it is about removing the rest of the hereditary lords, um, stopping the sort of the, these weird elections we have at the moment where three lords can get together from a party and end up electing another lord because uh, they, they're, they're leftover remnants of the, of the hereditary peer system. It's about removing people like that, making sure it's, it's more of a meritocratic thing. So it's people, you know, should be in there because they, you know, they contributed well to society. You know, for example, they could be business leaders. They could be specialists in areas like health. And I think they do provide good um, scrutiny to legislation, but it is ultimately, ultimately, at the end of the day, always about saying um, that, that they're not an elected house. And even if they were a somewhat elected house, it would be about uh, ensuring that the, the supremacy of the House of Commons. Mm-hmm. Do you see a problem with the sort of the power of peerage being a political tool? You know, in the last session, there are plenty of accusations of the Conservatives offering peerages to you know break um, Brexit Party people and people who are potentially challenging them. Is that a is that a tool that the Lib Dems are concerned about um, currently in power? Yeah, I think it is. It is an issue, um, more from the uh, point of view of sort of. Um, I think it's more a problem of sort of rewarding allies and donors and things. That's more. Mm. Um, I think that's something people probably dislike more about the House of Lords, and it's more of an issue than the power of the the House itself. So yeah, I think that's a good reason to to reform the House of Lords, and um, yeah, to make sure that that can't happen. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Well then, Alex, Tom, thank you so much for coming on. Um, what before we end it? What would be? What is your final message? Your your selling line for people to to ditch the other party, stop saying that you you know I would support you, but you know I don't think you can win. What is your selling line for the Lib Dems? I think it sort of goes back to a lot of the um, the old political broadcast we have, which is that if if everyone thought that we could that we could win, we could win. <laughs> right then, thanks so much for coming on, guys. Um, everyone, follow Warwick University Lib Dems on Facebook first of all, and on Twitter as well. Their Twitter is at um, w uh, u of w Lib Dems. Yeah. Um, that's u o f w Lib Dems. Follow them. Um, <laughs> this show is also available on um, Spotify and iTunes if you're on um, YouTube. Uh, follow Tutor for Future on Twitter. It's just actually for Future. Thanks for coming on, guys. Great. Thank, Thank you, you so very much. much. Hope Thanks. everyone enjoyed. Thank you. Ooh, Thanks. Uh,